Hello, everyone. Chris Martinson here. It is uh, it's December 21st. I know this because it's Evie's birthday and it's the solstice. So shortest day of the year or one of the shortest days of the year. And this is the where the world hangs in the literal balance, where now things start to get lighter and lighter again. And hopefully that's a metaphor for where we're going in this country soon. I'm worried we haven't seen our our country's solstice, darkest day of the year yet, because we're headed downhill. But before we go there, I want to start with what I consider to be a bright ray of light so we know what it would look like if or when we actually got leadership that actually understood that this was about not their own personal wealth, their own personal ambitions, their own personal broken ideologies, their own personal narcissistic cluster B personality crap. What would it look like if you actually had a leader who understood history and understood that it's actually government is should be of, by, for, and about the people, I submit it would look a lot like this. So Malay yesterday came out with a beautiful statement here. And to save time, I'll just read it out for you because otherwise it scrolls along at, at a translated pace here with the caption. So he said, uh, with all his cabinet ministers around him, giving you know a lot of support here, he said, today is a historic day for our country after decades of failures impoverishment, decadence, and anomie. Today, we formally begin the path of reconstruction. Since we assumed office only eight business days ago, we have been focused on trying to contain the enormous crisis which we inherited. And for that reason, we designed a shock stabilization plan that includes a fiscal adjustment program, an exchange rate policy that would stay true to the exchange rate and the value market and a monetary policy that includes the healing of the central bank. We are doing our utmost to try to reduce the tragic effects of what may be the worst crisis in our history, a product of decades of governments that have existed with a failed recipe. Because as we have been saying for months, the problem is not the chef, but the recipe. Those ideas that failed in Argentina are the same ideas that have failed throughout the planet. That recipe has been tried over and over, folks, because everywhere this recipe has been tried, it's been an economic failure. They have been a social failure. They have been a cultural failure. And on top of that, it has cost the lives of millions of human beings. That doctrine that some could call left-wing, socialism, communism, fascism, and that we like to classify, more broadly, as collectivism, as a form of thought that dilutes the individual in favor of the power of the state and is collectivism. I love this and is the basic foundation of the caste model. It is a doctrine of thought which is based on the premise that the state is more important than in the individuals that make up the nation, that the individual is only recognized if he submits to the state, and that, therefore, we citizens owe obeisance to its representatives, the political caste. That means that individuals are nothing more than a means to the ends, which consists of the belief that a group of men, politicians, are superior to the rest of the individuals, and therefore they must be them who reign the destinies of his compatriots. A doctrine that starts from the idea that a group of bureaucrats sitting in an office can plan the lives of millions of human beings, considering their desires, capabilities, and preferences and circumstances. It is a doctrine that considers that politicians consequently are omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. 
This means that, in essence, it is a doctrine that considers that politicians are God. We have come to tell you that politicians are not only not God, but they are the cause of our problems. They are the cause of our problems because for decades they have defended these impoverishing ideas that we talked about while they became increasingly richer. Because in the met, in the merciless implementation of these ideas for more than a hundred years, which took us little by little, step by step, to the economic hell that we live today, the process has been slow, and on this path we have become accustomed to and even taken as normal. State interferences that are the causes. The result is, I think I missed something here, the causes of all our troubles. The result is the country that received the worst inheritance in history. A country with a consolidated deficit of 15% of GDP. Hey, U.S. is halfway there. And where 5% of the deficit is from Treasury and 10% from the central bank. A country that spends so much that it cannot pay even with the highest tax burden in the world. A country without reserves in the central bank and with its credit confidence destroyed. A country that has issued money for 20% of GDP and that to finance that public spending has engaged in unbridled monetary emission. Now faces its worst inflationary crisis in 40 years. A country that was on its way to crashing into an annual inflation of 15,000% and that requires an urgent change, of course, to avoid disaster. That change begins today. A central aspect of the failure of the last hundred years is the interference that the state has had in the lives of its citizens from this belief that politicians are superior beings that must govern the destinies of each of us. An institutional scaffolding emerges that makes that no one can work, trade, move, be educated without their permission. While in a free society, everything is allowed except what is prohibited. In a collectivist society like Argentina, everything is prohibited except what is allowed by politicians. In clear opposition to the spirit of our liberal constitution that sought to restrict the arbitrary power of the state in the defense of life, liberty, and property of individuals. During the last hundred years, politicians have been busy expanding the power of the state to the detriment of good Argentines. That expansion of the state has been accompanied by the biggest destruction of the wealth of a country ever on record. Our country, which at the beginning of the 20th century was the first world power over the last hundred years, has been in an endless cycle of crises that all have the same root cause. Fiscal deficit. Now let me back up here because he's making so many good points here. I just absolutely love this. Um, yeah, let's go to here. Yeah, a doctrine that starts from the idea that a group of bureaucrats sitting in office can plan the lives of millions of human beings. That's a big problem. So that's what the Federal Reserve is doing here. They are a collectivist organization, a reverse Robin Hood organization. They believe that a few people sitting around a table with a nice dessert trolley on the side and coffee and tea selections can sit down once every six weeks and decide what's best for everybody, for all 300 million people. In fact, they have taken it upon themselves to absolutely destroy the household formation prospects of entire generations because, they, well, you know what, we don't like that house prices are going down. We think that's sad. We think that's sad for our Wall Street people who own these houses now. We think house prices should go up. So we're just going to fiddle and gerrymander interest rates, buying mortgage-backed securities. We're going to do this. We are going to, in our infinite fucking collective wisdom, the central bank is going to sit down and decide to screw over 
tens of millions of young people who are trying to start households, saddle them with an absolutely unpayable mortgage. Now that serves their their banker masters, right? The Federal Reserve doesn't have a dual mandate of low prices, stable prices, and full employment. They don't give a shit about any of that stuff. Let's be clear. The Federal Reserve likes to make sure that the rentier class has an endless stream of income coming from the people who are its slaves. Yes, you heard that right. Debt-based money systems is an advanced, sophisticated form of feudalism, right? Only this time, you're kind of like free-range serfs. You decide where you want to go, but guess what? You can't ever leave the Lord's Manor because you are going to always and forever be paying off a 30-year mortgage and or an endless student loan and or an endless series of cars and automobiles that are now 50 grand a pop to get off the lot, etc. And paying it off to who? To people who go like this, clickety-click-click, here's your loan. Here's your loan for your car, clickety-click. Here's your loan for your house, clickety-click. Now, see how much work I just did there? That's literally how much work it takes work takes to create debt-based money. So the debt-based money is absolutely a system of control. It goes off the rails anyway because of the exponential function, Um, but it goes off the rails really badly when you have collectivists running the show. Collectivists are the worst. It's a mind disease. It is a virus. We're in the midst of it. And I think Tucker Carlson did a great job. We're going to hear from him in just a minute, but a while ago, somebody asked him, hey, how do you stay so cheerful? You know, it's in spite of all this. And he said, ah, you know, I pretty much tune the world out. I, I don't care about what somebody I don't know thinks about me. It just water off a duck's back. I don't care. He said, he said, but I do care what the people closest to me think. So some internet troll, some Twitter troll says, you're the worst human ever, Tucker. We hate you. He's like, doesn't even, doesn't even bother him slightly. But if his wife comes to him and says, Hey, you've just done something that's a little questionable. He's like, boy, you, she has my full attention, right? Because he cares about people in his lives, people with fingerprints and names, as he said, or as collectivists care about the people, right? Effective altruism. Oh, I'm going to be altruistic for grand swaths of people. Oh, oh, we need to do these vaccine programs for Africa because we care about the people of Africa. Oh, what will the American people think, right? That's how the collectivist phrase stuff, because what they care about is the people, which means they don't have to care about people at all. It helps them continue on in their evil ambitions, which are highly narcissistic, damaged human being kinds of activities. And unfortunately, those people now have way too much of a presence in our daily lives and in the halls of power because, well, shit floats upwards um, and they are attracted to that kind of stuff. So so let's carry on then, because this is this is a big deal to me um, that Malay has nailed it here. He's nailed it. Collectivism is a ruinous thing. I'm really glad to see that he's surrounded by a bunch of people here because maybe stay safe, my man. Um, You know, this is going to be a very ambitious program to see if he can undo it. Now, here's the thing. Collectivists are nasty, nasty people. Nasty. Because when you strip away all their gobbledygook about effective altruism and caring about gender rights and pronouns and all that stuff, right under that, all that fluffy talk is these are nasty human, nasty people. Um, they will, they will shun you, burn you, get you fired from a job. They will do anything they can to destroy your life. These are the people who will ultimately round you up and put you into a camp. Well, just like they did. They called them quarantine camps in times past. They would have been called a concentration camp. There's not that much difference legally between the two. It's only a question of what happens once you get there. And of course, we all know that the collectivists would not hesitate to turn a quarantine camp into something more 
deadly. G. Edward Griffin had this nailed a long time ago. If you don't know who he is, this is the author here of Creature from Jekyll Island. I've had the pleasure of sitting down and meeting with him several times in my life. And he was the first that I know about to really talk about collectivism. And he's been talking about this for 40 years. I have to confess, when he first started talking about collectivism, I was kind of like, ah, that seems a little, little far. Well, I wasn't ready for it. I didn't quite know what he was talking about. But of course, Ed saw it clear as day. Uh, I am now paying full attention, Ed. Uh, he wrote here, collectivism and freedom are mortal enemies. Only one will survive. Perfect. There's the quote. There's the sentence. I believe in my heart of hearts, that's where we're at right now. This is a huge battle. This is not going to, like I said, it's not the darkest part of the day yet for the United States arc of the story or much of the West. And so what's about to happen next is I am highly convinced that we have a break, a dislocation coming, whether it's due to the fact that we had that colonel come out and say, oh, I'm getting my, my troops prepared for a conflict with China by 2025. Tucker Carlson interviewed Marjorie Taylor Greene recently, who said, oh, hey, people are just walking around the halls of Congress talking about the inevitable war with China, whether it's that I've heard through the grapevine from people in the intelligence community that 2025 is some sort of a drop dead date. Better have your affairs in order by then. All right, that's what that's what I'm angling towards. But of course, my my doomsday clock, like the scientists have that doomsday clock. It's always like two minutes to midnight. Um my own doomsday clock just ticked forward a tiny bit with this next piece that we're going to have to talk about now because because this is no no bueno no bueno ed also said this he said collectivists would have you believe that individualism is merely another word for selfishness because individualists oppose welfare and other forms of coercive redistribution of wealth but just the opposite is true individualists advocate true charity which is the voluntary giving of their own money, typically to people with names and fingerprints, while collectivists advocate the coercive giving of other people's money, which, of course, is why it is so popular with them, I would add to the end of that. Um, that's, that's it right there. It's, it's do you care about people, the people is an abstract thing, or do you care about people, Real, living, breathing people who have individual desires and needs and wants and all of that. Collectivists, and this is what Argentina has been suffering under, they have these bureaucrats. These bureaucrats, that is the banality of evil, right? Hannah Arendt taught us that, right? The, the, when you say, oh, those evil Germans who committed the Holocaust, when you strip it down, dude, and dudettes, they, they were bureaucrats. They were people sitting across from a desk. Well, there's this law I have to administer, and this law says that we get to Oh, we get to seize this person's property because of their religion. And then we get to, oh, well, there's this train that's scheduled for this time and they're on this list and on and on and on. It's bureaucrats. There's not a Satan on a throne on these things. Evil lives in the hearts of people. And that evil is now out across the land and it's out there and it's we can see it. We just have to be able to trust our own lying eyes. We can see the evil out there now. I can. And this evil really just wants to destroy stuff. It's just, that's it. it. Given the choice between A and B, if A is destructive and B is helpful, they will choose A. Our energy policy is destructive right now. Our border policy in the U.S. is destructive. The Federal Reserve monetary printing policy is destructive right now. Highly destructive to younger generations, to individuals. The, the vaccines for COVID, highly destructive to individuals. Creating the bioweapon of COVID in the first place, highly destructive. All the lies, all the constant gaslighting, all of that highly destructive. So where do we go with this? 
I think it's time to listen in to the great Tucker Carlson. He's talking here now about the recent Colorado decision by their Supreme Court, or we might call them their subprime court, you know, to get their a little more accurate of a phrase or description there, to bar Trump from the statewide ballots because of his insurrectionist ways. Tucker does a great job of this. Let's let's just listen in. Hmm. We're going to have to read it out here. I don't hear it. Calm and nonviolence. There it is. So why were the people... I found it. Let's just back that up. This is pretty puzzling to watch. Whatever else January 6th was, and in some ways we still don't know exactly what it was, it was not a Trump-led insurrection. The crowd had no guns. They had no plan to overthrow the government. Nothing like that has ever emerged. And above all, Trump was not leading it. He was miles away at the White House at the time, where he issued a public statement calling for calm and nonviolence. So why were the people on television telling us that Trump led an insurrection? This was, of course, a lie, but it was also a very obvious lie. So clearly we were watching the rollout of a talking point, words crafted for a specific purpose. But what was the purpose? We got an answer to that question yesterday when the Colorado Supreme Court ruled that because he led an insurrection, Donald Trump's name cannot appear on the state's ballot next fall. The four liberal judges who concluded this cited as their justification Article 3 of the 14th Amendment, which was written in 1868 to keep former Confederate officials from holding office. That was the sum total of their reasoning. Despite the fact Donald Trump has never been convicted by any court of insurrection, and although the 14th Amendment specifically does not apply to the presidency, Donald Trump cannot run for president because he's an insurrectionist. This seemed like lunacy because it was lunacy. 3,000 miles away in El Salvador, there was no question about what was happening. The United States has lost its ability to lecture any other country about, quote, democracy, wrote Salvadoran President Nayib Bukele. And yet in this country, no one on the left dared say that. Instead, Donald Trump's enemies celebrated. The Atlantic Magazine expressed gratitude that unelected judges had, quote, rescued the country from the desires of voters, because actually, That's democracy. And then there was Jenna Griswold. That's the Colorado Secretary of State. You may not have seen her before, but you will instantly recognize the category she represents. Unhappy 39-year-old liberal women with Ivy League degrees and a deep streak of authoritarian impulses. Here's Griswold on MSNBC last night explaining that a conventional legal process is no longer necessary for the left to get its way. No more trials or evidence or jury verdicts. An accusation made on television is now enough to remove a frontrunner from the presidential race. If Nancy Pelosi and Joe Scarborough call you bad, Americans are not allowed to vote for you. Watch. Look, I believe he incited the insurrection. There were big questions around Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, and the Colorado Supreme Court has weighed in in a very loud way, making themselves clear. Frankly, we've never had a president try to steal the presidency and engage in insurrection Uh, ever before. So Trump's actions are unprecedented. The Colorado Supreme Court 
confirmed that the district court got it right, that he did engage in insurrection. I think uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment has to apply to the presidency, because if not, it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. And in a country of laws where no man is, is above another, um, we can't have one office be able to do whatever they want when it comes to rebellion and then be able to be seated in office again. None of this seems very American. All of it looks like the actual end of democracy. Bring this back up. Ooh, yeah. So first up, well done, Tucker. Um, I, I just want to focus on this one part he said here. He said, you know, whatever else January 6th was, in some ways, still don't know exactly what it was. It was not a Trump-led insurrection. It really wasn't. Right. There were no guns. We now know that it was shot through with federal agents, that uh, it was engineered in a lot of ways and that they just called it an insurrection. That's what they did. It's a lie. It's a very obvious lie. But that's what happens when you fall uh, when democracy dies. So democracy is dead right now in the United States. It is gone there. I mean, we knew this uh, a while ago um, with all of the earlier actions, but it, let, let me it's gone. This 2024 why i'm moving my doomsday clock up a little bit another minute to midnight because i don't see how we get through 2024 without an actual insurrection meaning people who have decided that their government no longer is of by or for them now here's the thing here's the number one thing these people on the left these collectivists and that's there's people on the so-called right who are collectivists dan crenshaw you know mitch mcconnell odious horrible people but they they truly believe in this ruling caste system right the republicans and the democrats on either side have never made an issue out of the fact that the voting machines are not just insecure but provably insecure and that we've had statistically impossible elections since those electronic voting machines were put in so we know for a fact we know for a fact that we have an illegitimate election system that throws out bogus results and that neither side of this uniparty says anything about it tells you everything you need to know so we have a rigged system and that's what i saw on january 6th where people showing up detecting finally the rigging was just too obvious really basement joe and the person who polled the worst through the entire primaries kamala harris who is obviously a moron and unlikable um you know she's no forrest gump in this story uh she's 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 a a screenplay that should never be written because it's it's awful right those two garnered 81 million votes, right? Many of those appearing at 2.30 in the morning when there were nobody else you know, from the other side watching the votes and all that. We know that. So, so that's what January 6th was to me. It was just people showing up saying, whoa, that was, that was stolen. So obviously, what does the ruling system have to do when you have an insurrection like that with people, the little people, the lower caste, daring to rise up and say, hey, hold on. I want to petition my government for redress. I want to show up in my capital. I want to make my voice heard. I want to count for something. And of course, when they do that, what you have to do is you have to shoot pepper balls at them. You have to incite them. And then you have to open the doors and encourage them to come inside. And then when they do, then you can tag them with uh, very vague, illegal laws, as far as I'm concerned, um, and, and then throw the book at them. Put them in jail five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, right? That's what you have to do because you can't have the caste system below you rising up and daring to suggest that we're all in this together and that a democracy is of, by, and for the people. We do not have that. I'm calling an audible. Democracy is dead. We live in a full-blown, completely obvious dictatorship at this point in time. And the sooner you wrap your head around that, 
the sooner you can probably get busy with the things you're going to have to do because this gets darker before it gets later. It just does. So with that, I mean, look at this. So doubling down December 20th, that's yesterday after all this comes out, right? Biden, what does he say? He says, quote, we just have to demonstrate that he, Trump, will not take power if he does run, making sure under legitimate efforts of the Constitution does not become the next president again, end quote. Who are you going to believe, me or your lion ears? <laughs> this is that you hear my mouth will open like a fish. Nothing will come out because you can't say that, but they, they don't care. They're saying the quiet part out loud. Hey, we just have to demonstrate. He's not going to take, he won't take power. We'll use any legitimate <laughs> efforts of the constitution. Uh, you know, does not become the next president again. That's, that's what we have to do. We just got to make sure. Oh, okay. Maybe he just misspoke. Maybe he just misspoke. Oh, wait, here's a tweet from Biden today. Uh, on the 21st saying Trump poses many threats to our country, the right to choose civil rights, voting rights in America's standing in the world. But the greatest threat he poses is to our democracy. If we lose that, we lose everything. Okay. Fuck you, Joe. Fuck you. Whoever. No, uh, Joe didn't write this. Whoever who, by the way, serious question. Who is running the white house right now? Does anybody know? Like, like who's, Who's actually, who's writing these tweets? Who, who's deciding policy? Because we know it's not Joe. I just said, fuck you, Joe. But that's because he's just nominally the titular figurehead of this whole stupid thing. But it's not Joe, obviously. The guy probably can't even compose an entire full sentence at this point in time. So it's not him. So let's admit we, have, we had a coup. We had a stolen election in, in 2020. And that stolen election, we are now living with the consequences of that, which includes our country's being invaded right now daily tens of thousands of people are streaming across the border it is no bueno um military age males coming in our country is uh you know our 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 military policy is about to tangle us up in a corner of the world we probably shouldn't get tangled up in um all for nothing and our energy policy is a complete disaster all of this is by design because these people want to ruin the country. I mean, if you're going to build back better, I guess you have to wreck some stuff first. So they really believe this. They're, they're here. They're destroying my country. I do not consent. Okay. All right. So let's look at this. Uh, you know, everything that Trump says here is pure projection. I'm sorry. Biden says here about Trump is pure projection. So whoever's writing this for him is just doing the classic cluster B personality of accusing the other person of your own worst faults first so that they stick over there, not over here. The right to choose, civil rights, voting rights, America's standing in the world. These are all four and many other things being absolutely destroyed by this current administration on purpose because they hate you. They hate America. They hate the right to choose. They hate uh, actual civil rights, which is a colorblind society. They're quickly making it as, as color not blind as possible. Voting rights, obviously, we don't have any of those. I mean, who cares who votes if I care who counts the votes? You know what I mean? And America's standing in the world, all being shredded. These people are the greatest threat to our democracy. Of course, that's just how it is. Now, if you want to know what happens when they take the glove off and that iron fist, the mailed fist, is exposed below, you need to look no further than Canada, shot through with its own collectivist nightmare. Think about this. Canada still refuses to release political prisoners Chris Carbert, Anthony Olenek, Jerry Morin and Chris Lysak, 675 days in prison without bail, 
without a trial. And uh, Donald Best here says uh, everybody makes bail in Canada. Everybody accused cop killers, gangbangers, child rapists, everybody, but not freedom convoy protesters set up with false hate gate evidence by Canada's intelligence and law enforcement, law enforcement officers. Um, so this is what it looks like when the police ceases prosecutors courts act as political muscle for the government enforcing political policies have no doubt the police investigation laying of charges denial of bail and the emergencies act were all one political event that is still continuing but it's a political event put on by collectivists this is what it looks like 675 days no trial no bail these were people who what what did they what what was their main crime their main crime was the same crime as the january 6 people it was little people attempting to say hey i got i got to say in this too don't i no you don't citizen subject um so that's what's transpiring right now i mean read this for what it is 675 days in jail i mean everybody gets gets bail cop killers gangbangers child rapists everybody not these four right um these four are in our political prisoners. So we have political prisoners. We've got the political weaponization of the DOJ. We've got the absolute certainty that this next election is not going to go down without it being completely obvious what's actually happening. So, um, and what's happening is obviously it's just, it's a stolen, it's everything stolen. This is just one big thieving operation. But if it was just about stealing shit, that was kind of like the first couple centuries of my country. That's fine. You know, you can get by on that. This isn't about that. We know that they're here to make an example of anybody who dares to put up any sort of resistance against their plans and policies. So if you have any notion of freedom or wanting to be free, you're going to have to care about this a lot, which gets us back to this collectivism and freedom. These are mortal enemies. They are diametrically opposed concepts. Um, Only one will actually survive. And so that is what is actually on the ballot for this fall in the United States, but I would submit also in Canada. Got some issues going on. And of course, this has been ongoing for a long time. Years of planning behind the Democrats' turn against democracy in public. They, they're writing here. Remember the transition integrity program? Transition integrity program. So it's not about transition or integrity. Probably was a program. And they blurp, they bragged about this in Time Magazine saying they fortified the election. They did whatever they had to do. Democracy was in peril. Democracy was in such peril that we had to do anything, no matter how illegal, how immoral, how unethical, just to keep Trump out, which is actually a fancy way of saying to keep ourselves in, because that's what they really care about, right? More than anything. These are the awful, awful, awful people. Donna Brazil, you've got obviously a Podesta there. Um, and I don't know who this other lady is, but whatever. I mean, there's just, these just nasty, nasty, horrible, horrible, nasty people. Um, and so when we carry on with this, uh, Matt Gates writing here, uh, representative saying, this is insane. Activist judges at the Colorado Supreme court cited, this is the Supreme court cited in their majority opinion, the president Trump's idea to deploy our military against the nationwide riots in 2020 is proof of an insurrection. What? The radical left, they burned down cities, they killed civilians, right? The mostly peaceful protests, remember, they were burnt, they were destroying, looting, violent crimes, assaults, murders. And they wrote here, President Trump threatened to deploy the military to Minneapolis to shoot looters 
amid protests over the police killing of George Floyd. Uh, there, there, there's your, there. Um, uh, and then he told the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by. I mean, that's, that's stand back, stand by, like stand off, just like, don't do anything like that. He told them, don't come here. Um, and so, uh, but, but they're saying, oh, the stand by, stand by means get ready or something. I mean, they're just, this is wild, wild projection. So who's actually behind this, right? This is actually a fascinating story. You'll love this one. Uh, so of course, of course, of course, the Biden administration is linked to the Trump ballot ban in Colorado. Uh, here on Zero Hedge, while many are focusing on the Ivy League Democrats on Colorado Supreme Court who voted to kick Donald Trump off the 2024 primary ballot, the underlying case itself has a direct link to the Biden administration? No, come on. Really? The Colorado case against Trump was brought by Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington crew, which means obviously, using our handy decoder ring, they stand for the exact opposite of all of that, right? These are citizens against responsibility and against ethics in Washington and probably everywhere. Headed by president and CEO, Noah Bookbinder. There it is, the banality right there. Just That's banality, just staring back at you with a little smirky grin. Uh, Bookbinder, Noah Bookbinder, who sits on Biden's administration's Department of Homeland Security Advisory Council. What? Bookbinder is a former trial attorney for the DOJ, public integrity section, and former chief counsel for the criminal justice for the Senate Judiciary Committee. What? This guy's a Washington, D.C. swamp rat operative. This is the guy who brought the suit, right? He repeatedly donated to former President Barack Obama's reelection campaign. During his tenure with the Senate, Federal Election Commission records show the DHS appointed Bookbinder and 32 other new members to HSAC in March of 22, ahead of the council's first meeting under Secretary Mayorkas. Oh, so it's a council that meets directly under a, a secretary of DHS who is uh, reports directly to, oh, that would be Biden. You can't make this stuff up. This is full-on Banana Republic stuff. I just need you to be aware of what this actually is and what it means. This is astonishing. Oh, 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 hold on a second. This gets even crazier because somebody dug up uh, the 990 uh, tax filings and found out that Noah Bookbinder here, let me see if I can get my drawing tool out, a little highlighter. Look at this, Noah Bookbinder at 455 Massachusetts Ave Northwest as part of the crew, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. That's funny because you know who else has that same address listed? This would be this Angelo Caruson of Media Matters. Media Matters, of course, is that... Yeah, you can't even make this stuff up, right? This is the ultra-partisan hack, think-tanky, whatever you call that thing, Um, which, by the way, the head of Media Matters was dating who? James Alephantis, who was who? Oh, that's right, the owner of Comet Ping Pong, that infamous top 50 most influential places, which is a shitty little pizza joint in a strip mall, right? Right outside of Washington, D.C., right? That's how this game is played. When we're looking at these people who are involved in this, it is really gross. They are an interlocking club with a whole lot of like pedophile adjacent sort of connections and activities that go way beyond anything. Like I know nobody personally who went to Epstein Island. I don't know anybody personally who's been arrested multiple times on, on child porn charts. I don't know. None of my friends have gone out, you know, um, 
and and committed any of these sorts of things. But you run in this crew, and I'm going to say these sorts of things show up a lot when you do these sorts of things. By the way, waiting with bated breath for the release of the 177 names on Epstein's client list, if it is not shot through with what we'll call the collectivist uniparty types, I'll be shocked. Be interesting to see who's on there. Carrying on... um, but you know th- this is just this is just bizarre this insanity right here and I think Glenn Greenwald you know did a nice summary again Trump's first indictment was from a liberal Manhattan prosecutor his other state cases from a Dem party machine in Atlanta his two federal cases are under the Biden DOJ and now a Colorado court full of Dems just banned him from the ballot again playing with fire that's what's happening here. So I want you to be ready for this, that that this whole idea that this whole thing could sort of break apart very quickly, that something could, you know, the bowling ball could clunk down a couple stairs at once in this next uh, downturn that's going to happen. Knowing that the Federal Reserve is panicking, jack- jacking the markets up as much as it can, knowing that there's just tensions everywhere. And then all of this, the idea that the United States is going to have its democracy violently stolen from it in one final cataclysm and then that's the end of it I don't think so right the collectivists want that of course because collectivism and freedom are mortal enemies and there are a lot of people waking up to this and deciding that freedom is actually one of those hill to die on kinds of things it's one of those you lose it you never get it back kinds of things that the destruction grossness moral insufficiency if not immoral completely evil actions of these collectivists are now laid bare and the question is what do we do about that how much do we stand for what do we do next and i submit to you that the chance of us making it through this next election cycle without all of this coming to a head without this turning into something really really drastic and and bad is very low so the probability is now very high which is of, of some sort of cataclysm, of some sort of disruptive event. I don't know. Trucking gets shut down. Acts of sabotage begin to happen. Uh, states decide not to certify the election. The Federal Reserve, sorry, the feds, the federal government tries to field an army to go up against state national guards of uh, can't. So they have to field it with, oh, newly conscripted people from other countries, right, um, et cetera, and so forth. So so that's really what's happening here, and it's just time to wake up and see that. I'm waking up. I'm finally seeing it. I'm sorry, Ed Griffin, that it took me this long to figure out what you were talking about. You were absolutely right. And I should have listened earlier. I'm not sure what I would have done differently. I've done what I've done. You know, got a farm, got a garden, got some gold and silver, have some weapons, have a deep pantry, um, you know, have neighbors who are on the same wavelength. Uh, so what else can you do? You know, that's that's where we're at. So with it, with that, thanks very much for listening. Sorry to be dropping this sort of um, cheery material here right before Christmas um, for those who, who uh, celebrate that. And the holiday season for all of us is um, it's not where I wanted to be, but I didn't choose it. Remember, it didn't have to be this way. So let's talk about this. Can't wait to hear what you have to say um, with that. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time.